Welcome to TalkErie.com's Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast. Every day, we tackle the biggest issues that the Erie, PA region faces. Stay informed and involved as we advance the narrative of Erie. Now, here's Joel Natale. Derek Martin is our guest here from the Erie Airport Authority. Welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. And so glad that you're here. And how long have you been in Erie now? Going on 14 months. Okay. Loving it? I like Erie. It's a great town, great things to do. If people don't get out and enjoy the things that the community offers, it's a, it's a shame. I mean, this summer we had uh, the tall ships were in town. Uh, the hotels downtown were getting $500 a night. So, Oh, Oh wow. yeah, they were they were they were racking up the rates. So they, the the um, visit Erie folks actually advertised in Pittsburgh, Cleveland, and Buffalo. Mm-hmm. So not only did the locals get an opportunity to take advantage, but other other communities came in and, and it really explored uh, those vessels. Uh, I was amazed at how small they were. I mean the the, the well the the rubber. one that went across the ocean what the the Santa, Santa Maria, Maria yeah. yeah, yeah, the Santa Maria. You know, they're going like, really? Wow, that that was tiny. You know, I'm thinking there's some kind of big ship that came across the ocean, and and there was this little thing that made it. So it's a, it's pretty amazing the the craftsmanship and the sailing uh, abilities of those people to do that. It's no, interesting too when you think about it. And and again, you know this up one side and down the other. The when aircraft came into play, they basically adopted a lot of kind of the sailing nomenclature and the kind of the way that sailors approach things, but it's so much different. Um, what, you know, when, when you think about the history of, of like commercial airlines and aircraft, we've come so far, but still a lot of the stuff is the same. You still trim a, trim your, uh, your, trim your wings and all that stuff, right? You still have the elevators in the back. Correct. But it's all, that was all what, high, high, uh, hydraulics? Hydraulics. And, and, and now it's all electronic. Everything's right? electronic now. And actually, the, if you talk to a pilot, they'll say, yeah, I'm just a glorified bus driver. Uh, <laughs> I drive it on the taxiway, and then I drive wow. it to the runway, and then once the plane's in the air, it basically, you know, directs itself. And as the, the federal government is investing in it, it's called next-gen system. It's a navigational satellite navigational system. So instead of flying on a sort of predetermined routes in the sky, they'll be able to fly on a satellite. So it'll be more effective, more efficient, cut down on the air travel. But again, the, the planes are so sophisticated now that the, the pilots, you know, the toughest part is taking off and landing. And depending on if you have what's called a cat three landing system, which allows you to land in virtually zero visibility, oh. uh, the plane can actually land itself. So it, it's amazing how the transition of what the Wright brothers did, and where we are now yeah. and the distance that we 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 can fly on an aircraft i mean just think that there's long haul flights from uh, newark new jersey over to singapore that are 14 hours long mm-hmm. uh just it's it's incredible yeah and and you know you have to carry all your flu- fuel with you and so it's this this self-contained situation for 14 hours amazing uh, where what would you say that is this a good year for the airlines? Are they doing well? I, I haven't checked the stock prices. Do they? I mean, with all this consolidation, they've there's got to be better profits. Yeah, the profits are up. Uh, where they're making a lot of money is on the uh, baggage fees uh, and uh, if you're change fees and all those other things. So if you if you, you get in a situation where you got to change your flight, you know the ticket can be a one twenty five or one hundred fifty dollar change fee, and depending wow. on the value of your ticket. It might be just worth starting over. So mm. that's where the challenge, but they're making so much money on the baggage. Yeah. And then the airlines or the airports don't uh, 
get a percentage of that because our fees are collected. Uh, aviation ticket taxes based on the price of the ticket, okay. not on all those salary fees. So it makes it diff- difficult for the um, capital that the airports use to try to build the infrastructure to main- maintain because the rate has been $4.50 forever. All right. And the airports are trying to raise that. And the airlines are fighting um, that that raise of the uh, facility charge so you can continue to build up the infrastructure. Who Whose budget federally... Is it the FAA that is in charge of capital improvements at all these airports? Right. It's a it's a division of the Department of Transportation, but it's the FAA, Federal Aviation Administration. So there's a, a law, I think it's 5190B, and basically it's a formula that basically says based on passenger traffic at your community, you're entitled to uh, a percentage based on a, a dollar amount. So for okay. the first 50000 let's say it's $4.00. Or eight dollars and fifty cents. The next fifty thousand passengers, you get X. So, from a mathematical standpoint, once the airport reaches ten thousand passengers that board in Erie, we get a million dollars for capital improvements. Okay. And then we have a match of ten percent that the airport has to make for those improvements. So, when we look to do capital projects at the airport, if it's uh, an eight million dollar project, our cost or our share is about four hundred forty thousand. So, it's a lot of money that we have to try to maintain locally to make mm-hmm. those federal. Matches. Is that the, the is that the reason why when you go to LaGuardia or you go to O'Hare, you you feel like it should be a lot nicer than it is? They're they're not able to come up with a local match. No, the the challenge in some of the bigger airports is the airlines make those investments instead of the community or the airport itself. Oh. So in the past, LaGuardia, uh, Newark, and JFK haven't uh, the airlines haven't invested in that airport. So that's changed now. There's a new um, airport sort of being built in LaGuardia. Um, excuse on, me. Yeah. We've got, um, the, um, what do you call it? Uh, JetBlue built a beautiful, I think it's terminal four in okay. the JFK. Uh, they're doing a new terminal building in uh, Newark as well. So some of the infrastructure at those airports is a lot of, is driven by the airlines because it, it's their terminal building. So, when I worked for Northwest Airlines, we built the the midfield terminal. It's called the McNamara Terminal now in uh, in Detroit. Okay. So the, the airport or the airlines designed it, built it, but they built it in cooperation with uh, Wayne County, and they built that facility. So that's one of the few airports in the country that was actually built by an airline uh, for an airport. So it had all the things that made it more effective and efficient. And that was all Delta, or you said Northwest? It was Northwest at the okay. time. Okay, and then they, they merged. merged. Yeah. Right. Okay. Interesting. So a lot of the cap, so that that's kind of like back in the old old days when when the Pens or the New York Central built the Union Station in downtown Erie. It was you. I mean, you just don't see that these days. I didn't think anyway. It seemed like that was all uh, federal money or, or state money to build this infrastructure out. So you're saying it's kind of a combo of both. Yeah, most of the the runways, taxiways, and the aeronautical pieces the federal government, but most of the the infrastructure for an airport is done by something else. So we just did a um, rehabilitation of the airport here. Uh, I call it putting lipstick on a 1957 uh, terminal building. <laughs> okay. So we put new flooring, yeah. uh, new seating, new uh, Wi-Fi connectivity, a new restaurant. We did a lot of things to try to enhance the feel of going in and out of the airport. Because as you come to a community, uh, a lot of people judge the community based on what they see at the airport, positive or negative. And so uh, we got a, a fresh look, new look in, in the airport. We're excited because the airport will be featured uh, in the November 
December issue of Airport Magazine. Oh, wow. Uh, as how to um, put some improvements on an airport, but do it on a budget. And so we were able to do that and accomplish that. So we're excited about that. And, and Erie is always known for its budget. I, I want to, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, um, I want to ask you about, you know, flying in 2019. And like we were saying off mic, yeah, when I was when I was flying every month or a couple times a month in the late 80s, it was a delight. Of course, you whisked through. I, I was flying out of Nashville. That's where my home base was. And we had a brand new uh, facility that Amer- the American must have built most of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, you whisked through security. None of this, you know, two hour lines or anything. Yeah, you'd run to you run to the gate 10 minutes before uh, pushback. And uh, you had some leg room. You got free food on the plane, and you you yeah, I was flying nonstop to most destinations. Now it's a it's a lot different. You're tighter in the planes. And what what are the what are the big takeaways, or what are the what are the insider tips that you can give us for just being prepared to fly? Well, I think the history that you just mentioned about how things have changed is from the standpoint there are a lot more airlines. Uh, the airlines, I think, you know, what you remember is prior to deregulation. Yeah. And when before deregulations, the federal government actually selected the routes you flew, the airlines you flew. So airplanes actually flew with around 70% load factor because it was almost a prestige sort of thing of, uh-huh. of flying. There was the air, there was elegance. You know, as you mentioned, there was food, you know, you got real food on the plane. Yeah. And, and every, real meals for free. Right. And so that's all changed. And so what happens is we've uh, sort of evolved after deregulation. Uh, the airlines have gone out and competed on routes. And if a route's not profitable, they just discontinued. And, and back in the day, uh, prior to deregulation, the, the government set the fares as well. So overall, the industry was profitable, but they only went out at 70% load factor. I see. And now that we've changed that that business model, we now have a more of a hub and smoke system. If you get a, a graph of airlines that were in business in 1979, and you look at that graph now, you would be shocked that the, the number of airlines have disappeared from the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. Um we yep. used to fly Eastern, you know, mm-hmm. uh, actually Eastern, I think, came to Erie at one point years ago. Of course, TWA was right. a famous, uh, uh, you know, come fl- fly the. But if you, yeah, but if you, if you look at, uh, so for example, Republic Airlines mm-hmm. and Northwest competed head to head in Detroit. Uh, and then Northwest bought Republic. Republic was bought by Delta. So there's just three airlines. Uh, and there are a lot of other ones that mm-hmm. sort of went through that whole um, synopsis. So you had TWA that you just mentioned was bought by American. You had um, America West uh, and uh, U.S. Airways. America West was bought bought U.S. Airways. Um, and then America West merged with American. The CEO of U.S. Air or America West is now running American Airlines. Wow. So you look at Continental Airlines, they, they sure. merged with United. So you look at all these areas that had multiple hubs. So if you look at the hub air, airports that have disappeared since this consolidation, Cincinnati is no longer there. Memphis is no longer there. Cleveland's no longer there. Pittsburgh's no longer a hub, Pittsburgh's right? no longer a hub. So you can go throughout. And that was, yeah. we just stayed on the East Coast. We didn't go West. Yet. Right. I right. mean, so you can see how the, excuse me, the consolidation mm-hmm. has taken effect and it's now created more of a hub and spoke system. And, and when you were here last, you were saying about how tight everything is 
in the Northeast Corridor. It, it, explain that to our listeners again, insofar as that that every slot that they could carve out is being uh, used by a large plane. Right. So um, there are four airports, I think, or four airports in the country that are slot controlled by the FAA. Washington, Dulles, which is Reagan. No, Washington, Reagan, I'm sorry. LaGuardia in New York, JFK in New York, and Newark, New Jersey. So actually in those locations, the federal government dictates how many planes can arrive and take off any hour throughout the day. So as I was trying to recruit uh, Alaska Airlines to fly from Seattle to JFK, the only time that we could get that airline in was arrive at 1230 at night in the morning and take off at 530 in the morning. That was the only availability to get somebody in and out. So the challenge when you get weather backups, snow delays, or those sort of things, it just backs up and it, it creates havoc on the system. So they try to meter those flights in. So because those restrictions in, they want to fly, you know, narrow body and wide body aircraft. They don't want to be flying small planes into the, right. the metropolitan New York area. So you've seen, um, for example, and even Philly, Philadelphia, uh, has, America has shifted flights from there down to Charlotte. United shifted flights from Newark down to Dulles. So there's been a shifting of some of those flights to other airports to try to alleviate the congestion and bring bigger airplanes into the metropolitan New York area to serve the region. Even and and it sounds like even if the even if the route would make sense on a profit situation, if if the market that they're coming from is too small, you're not going to get that slot. Right. I mean, nobody's going to give up a 150 passenger plane for a 50 passenger plane. Right. It just it doesn't make sense financially. So that's where there's certain people. They, there's things that people don't understand about the industry. So here's a case in point. So our new service to Charlotte's doing really well. I bet. And so I met with uh, people from American Airlines in the first of June. I says, uh, you know, we're we're over 90 percent load factor here. And, you know, when you're hitting 80, you usually talk about adding a frequency. Mm-hmm. And the gentleman said, well, that's nice but there's no room at the end. <laughs> so I thought I knew what it meant, but I wanted to make sure what it meant. Right. So what he meant was there are no more available slots in, at, Charlotte. in Charlotte. So yeah. there's only two things they can do. They can take a, another, a plane from another community, give it to us for that slot, or they can try to make our flight uh, on a bigger aircraft and see if that would work. So yeah. those are the challenges. So even though you might be doing well and the community supporting it, Something that has nothing to do with your community can have a negative impact on whether you're getting air service or not getting air service. Is there still a pilot shortage uh, across the industry? There's a pilot shortage across the industry. The airlines have been very aggressive going to these universities, uh, training pilots, putting training programs together to try to get these people the hours that they need. So this all happened because of the Kogan Air flight uh, outside of Buffalo. Uh, The flight went down. they passed the law. They called it the 1500 uh, rule. And that meant that uh, the pilot and the co-pilot had to have 15 hour, 1500 hours um, uh, to fly the planes. In the old days, I think it was 1500 for the, the captain mm-hmm. and 500 for the, the co-pilot. And the instance of that Kogan airplane going down, it had nothing to do with the, the number of hours those pilots had. They just made a um, mistake uh, while they're in the cockpit. Right. And so both of them had more than 1500 hours, but that new rule forced, forced anybody that was trying to fly, fly commercially, uh, get more hours and it's very expensive. So what a lot of students are doing now is trying to go to like, um, North Dakota university of North Dakota or some other schools, so the, the Ohio state, the uh, Kent state universities, 
enroll in their their flight program and their management program and help have the federal government help subsidize them trying to learn to fly. Uh, So that's where the challenge is. And you've got all these pilots that are retiring because there's a mandatory retirement age along with that rule the number of people that are available is, is dwindling. So that's why you're seeing the upgauge of aircraft where the airlines, there used to be, you know, people that used to fly into Memphis, Tennessee, remember the A340 SOPs, uh, you know, look like little mosquitoes flying through the air, but you know, they were everywhere in Detroit. They were in Memphis, Minneapolis, they were everywhere. And they would fly those planes. I think those were 34 passenger planes. They would fly those into St. Cloud or Flint or, um, Rochester, Minnesota, whatever the, the smaller communities were, and they would fly them feeder in and out of uh, those cities. But now they're flying actually bigger planes to, mm-hmm. to make it work. So, for example, Detroit, uh, Delta has made a decision that the stage length between Flint and Detroit's too short. Yeah. They won't even fly that route anymore. Okay. Even though they had that route for years. Right. So now if you're going to fly on Delta, you're either going to Minneapolis or you're going to Atlanta to fly on their service. They're not going to fly you in Detroit. So those how, that's somehow some of the the industry has changed and, and things that people have had for years that they go, well, I used to fly there all the time. Right. The Real ID in Pennsylvania. Can you explain the background of this and what that means for the folks at the airport? So after 9-11, uh, uh, the commission did some investigation. What they came about is there are some people that got uh, – false uh, identifications or driver's license. And a lot of that was in the New Jersey area. So New Jersey did some thing called a six point thing that you had to have all this ID before you issued a driver's license. So the federal government took that to another level going forward. And when, what that meant was that uh, starting October 1st, 2020, if you don't have what they consider a real ID or a passport, you will not be able to board a commercial air flight here in the United States. The challenge is, is, trying to understand or have people understand what real ID means. Imagine you have a, a mother that's 65, 70 years old. She went to the driver's license, the DMV. She got her driver's license. It came from a state agency. And you're going to tell that woman that that ID is not valid. Wow. Uh, that's that's a really tough conversation to have. So my fear is, is that people aren't going to take the time to go get their driver's license in advance or have a passport and then be denied boarding uh, as they come to the Erie Airport. So my greatest fear is, uh, Mary Lou uh, aunt's going to pass away and she wants to go to the funeral funerals out of town. She buys her airline ticket. She goes to the airport. She goes to check in. She has her driver's license that she got for years ago. She's been getting it for years at the DMV. She gets to the airport. The TSA says, ma'am, you can't board with this plane. This is not a valid uh, ID to board. And she's going to say, how can it be not be a valid airport? It was issued by the state of right. Pennsylvania. Yeah. And so that that's going to be one of the challenges in that airline ticket is most likely non-refundable. So she can't get her money back. So not only she's going to miss the funeral, she's not going to be able to get her money back. And she's going to be very uh, frustrated. And the other scenario that can happen is, is you fly out before the date changeover. You wind up in another city and say you're in L.A., San Francisco. Now you go to the airport to come back uh, to Erie. And you show up at the airport. Well, uh, ma'am, sir, you can't get on the plane with that ID. Why? Well, I came on a plane out here two days <laughs> right. ago. What do you mean? Right. You're, not, you're not making any sense. So we're trying to try to educate the people locally as much as we can. Hope to do some additional public service announcements uh, to just let people know that you you need to be aware of this. Uh, if you have a passport, you'd have no issues. But if you don't have a passport, you have to get the real ID. You have to bring all this information down to the Department of uh, Motor Vehicle Department. So in order to get that real ID... Uh, you you have to actually bring more to 
uh, to the DMV to, to get one of these? Yeah, so you have to have proof of ID- your identification, uh, a certified uh, birth certificate uh, from the State Office of Vital Records or a U.S. passport or a passport card. Uh, or And you need proof of your Social Security, so you might going to have to call the Social Security Administration and have them mail out your Social Security card because if you're like me, I had it when I was a teenager. Yeah, 16, right? I I, I don't know what I did with it afterwards. (laughs) Right. And then they want two uh, proofs of your physical current address. So that's tough if you're a high school kid. uh, Because you don't have a utility bill in your name or car insurance in your name. Wow. And then the real challenge is for, for women that have got married, divorced, married, divorced, or whatever the case may be. And if you've changed the name, you have to have proof of your the name changes. It, it is a very arduous process to, to get this done. Um, mm. It might be just easier to, to get a passport. It might be easier to do that than all these other things. And well, so, yeah, but you do need a lot of this stuff for your passport anyway. The, the thing is, is that to get on a plane October 1st, which is basically one year from right now, you're going to need one of these real IDs. Absolutely. And yeah. there's nothing that I can do about it. It's They've like, already pushed it. They already kicked the can down the road a couple times, right, on this? Right. Thing? I mean, I think it was talked about and uh, started in 2001 after 9-11. And then uh, they kicked it down the can for years. And this was the last sort of kick. So, I mean, uh, most states have had 18, 19 years to get this yeah. done. And I was at a thing the other day where, you know, they're still trying to allocate money to update their machines to get the things that they need to do to process. I think we only had like 300... 400,000 of them issued in the state of Pennsylvania so far, which is not a lot of people. If you consider the number of people that go through Pittsburgh, the number of people that go through Harrisburg, Erie. Well, and everybody that's driving. I mean, if you right. compared it to all the, all the driver's license out there. Certainly at the top of a lot of folks' minds is how we're doing at the airport. And so we're asking the guy that knows, Derek Martin, the executive director of the Erie Airport Authority. Welcome, Derek. Thanks, Joel. Great to be here. So, um, uh, remind folks uh, where hometown is, and, and you've been here 14 months now, but what, what do you call home as far as uh, where you grew up and what have you? I was born in Chicago, uh, lived in downtown, lived in the South City, South Suburbs, downtown, then the Northwest Suburbs, went to college in Minnesota, lived on the East Coast, lived on the West Coast. Uh, Did you spend some time in Miami a little bit? Or oh, no, no that'd be way too much fun. <laughs> I, I was in New York. I was in the okay. Tri-State area. I worked for the Port Authority in New York, New That's Jersey right. for six That's years. Right. So yeah. um, that was uh, that was interesting. The uh, Really, the rat race, when people talk about rat race, they don't really understand unless you live in that environment. Wow, wow. And, and so... Uh, the Port Authority is in charge of all three airports? Actually, they're in charge of five airports. Five airports. Yeah. What so, are the other two? So they have LaGuardia, uh, Kennedy, Newark, Teterboro, which is one of the largest general aviation airports just on the other side of uh, the Hudson River. It's the closest airport to uh, Manhattan. Okay. And then Stewart in Newburgh, New York. Okay. Uh, and that's up upriver? Yeah, that's up in, in um, Orange County. Okay. That's wow. And then, of course... You know, when you say the Port Authority to the locals, they think of the bus station, which is right there on what, uh, right outside of Lincoln, yeah. Link, uh, Lincoln, Lincoln Tunnel. Lincoln Tunnel, yeah. So yeah. We, we own the Port Authority bus terminal, we, <laughs> uh, Holland Tunnel, yeah. Lincoln Tunnel, George Washington Bridge, uh, Tappan Zee, uh, not the Tappan Zee, the um, Verrazano, mm-hmm. uh, 
just uh, Ground Zero is our property as well. So, I mean, there's just a lot of assets that the wow. Port Authority owns and manages. Incredible. Yeah, that's right. The, the Port Authority was part of the World Trade Center. Correct. Right? Yeah. So, okay. So, so you, you've got this breadth of, of, of experience, and you're here in Erie, Pennsylvania, and you've been making some moves uh, to, to kind of bring our airport into the 21st century a bit. Uh, how is the airport doing? What kind of year are you having? Uh, right now, we're up about 14.5%. We finished last year uh, 18, up uh, 12 over 12%. We're at year to date, we're close to 145 You're talking about passengers. Passengers, additional passengers utilizing the airport. So that's a great thing. Uh, and a lot of this, uh, you know, obviously we had Charlotte service start in May. So a lot of people think, well, you're up because of that. Well, we were up. 12% before we even got to May. Mm-hmm. So we've been steady all year long. So we've got more people utilizing the facility, more people actually taking a look at the prices and seeing that the, the prices are competitive. A few weeks ago, there was an article in the paper and they did a question, a chat, and people yeah. were answering back. And this one lady, I don't know if she was older or younger, she was funny. She says, yeah, it cost me more to fly out of here. You whole five bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. And when you think about the convenience and the cost of parking and right. all that, it, it, there's no comparison. The uh, You do have more seats to sell now, right? I right. mean, uh, in, in the aggregate. Yes. Yeah, so there, uh, with the, the in eight, I think starting in 18, uh, all the turboprops left the market. So now everything's all jets. There's no, there's no turboprops in and out of the community. And then uh, in May, in, uh, the Charlotte service started and then additional service to on American to Chicago. So that we added some additional seats in the marketplace as well as the number of seats were here been filled more. So for example, January in 2018, I think the flights went out at say 68% capacity. Uh, January of this year, they went out at 84% capacity. And and what's, what's like the sweet spot as a, as a airport administrator, where do you want to see that number at? I like to stay up 85 and higher. That means that, uh, you know, even the low days, there's people flying in and out of the community. A lot of the times we have people, um, the flights are oversold. And so that's mm-hmm. frustrating. So sometimes I, I give up my seat so the locals can fly out and, uh, I'll worry about getting to my destination another way. So uh, I've been flying for a long time. So I yeah. usually can, you know, make some juggling of things and to, to get to where I need to get to. Who's a typical person that flies out of Erie? Is it is there a lot of business travel? Uh, you know, are, are some of the, the more major corporations utilizing Erie pretty exclusively or how's that all go? Well, it's a, it's a pretty interesting mix. So 47 percent of the traffic that comes in and out of Erie comes from elsewhere. So a lot of people fly into the Erie community to, to do their, their their work or meet mm-hmm. with companies or families, coming to visit families. Like you'll have somebody who'll fly into Erie and they're going to visit relatives in Jamestown. So there's a there's a, a good mix of the people, what people do as they come here. Uh, the business travelers are us, utilizing the service. You know, there's a demand for additional destinations, obviously, by the business traveler. But the leisure travelers are just looking for some of that convenience. Uh, it might sound easy to some people that, okay, I might want to fly out of Cleveland, but if you don't have a friend with a car, how you get into Cleveland? Right. And so it's just easier for you to get a, you know, Uber or Lyft out to the airport or friend, family friend to drop you off at Erie versus trying to go elsewhere. So I think you're seeing a lot more of that, and you, and you see people that are actually taking a look at Erie versus uh, the other airports to see if they can find something that that's working in their budget and their destination, their time frame. Yeah, I, I have a uh, what is it, airfare watchdog or whatever. So I get a ping uh, almost a couple times a week of the low fares, and some of them are pretty low. I, I 
trying to remember some of the destinations. I know that uh, uh, Orlando is always competitive. Uh, it seems like uh, Miami or Tampa are competitive, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and even really like an Erie to LAX is not that bad at all. It's amazing. Right. Uh, I, I work out in the gym in the morning and one guy said to me last week, he says, well, just want to let you know, my wife booked a trip out of uh, Erie. We're going to Cancun. <laughs> I said, you're going to Cancun. <laughs> nice wife. Uh, he said, yep. Uh, and it was convenient. It was one stop. We're mm -hmm. flying to, I think, Chicago, he said, and it's a nonstop from Chicago down to Cancun. So, again, people are looking at the, those challenges. People don't like when they get back to if they go out of Pittsburgh, Buffalo, or Cleveland, that hour and a half, two-hour drive trying to get back to Erie uh, after your trip. I mean, it's it's just grueling. I mean, yeah. You know. Oh, gosh. Well, and we've noticed, too, that when we, you know, we do events here with the radio station and stuff and generally always fly people into Erie, just so much easier to just have that car, pick them up, and then you're going to your hotel. Right. How does Erie uh, ERI uh, work with with its tier of uh, fellow airports? I think about Elmira or uh, or I, I know that we have a lot more service than a lot of places, you know, Youngstown even, which is a which is a larger town. But we have a ton more service than Youngstown. Youngstown has no service now. They, is that they, right? They've lost all their passenger service. And so the problem with Youngstown is they're too close mm. uh, to, uh, I think, Canton, Akron, and they're also too close to, I think it's Pittsburgh, uh, maybe even Cleveland. So they're they're too close to airports. And so uh, they, some of the airlines have consolidated. So they haven't, they didn't have any, you know, what I call legacy carriers. And for your listeners right. that don't understand that, that's United, American, and Delta. Uh, those are the top three airports. And there's uh, hardly any communities the size of Erie that have all three of those carriers. So we're, we're very fortunate from that perspective. And so we've got three flights a day to, uh, to Detroit, uh, uh, on Delta, two flights in the United to Chicago, uh, flight on American to Chicago, and two flights to Charlotte. So uh, we've got a good mix of flights throughout the day, and we're looking to continue to try to grow that as well. We'll talk about cargo at one point. Again, we last time you were here, we we chatted about uh, that that could be a profit center for the airport. Is is there anything going on? What, where's the, what's the latest with cargo uh, in the industry and for Erie? Well, the biggest. Um, boom for cargo is uh, Amazon trying to, with their prime and all that other stuff, they're trying to figure out locations throughout the United States. I think the, the last airport they've announced that invest in was in uh, Cincinnati, uh, which is in Covington, Kentucky, which is across the border from Cincinnati. And so they had a lot of space that used to be a hub for uh, Delta airlines. Uh, right. When they uh, consolidated that hub went away uh, along with uh, the Memphis hub. So, uh, everything was sent to Atlanta or Detroit. And so there's an opportunity from there, but it also has to do with your number of packages that are coming in and outgoing packages. So we're trying to uh, see how we can leverage our geographical location between uh, Buffalo, Pittsburgh, and Cleveland uh, to you know say that we can serve three, four markets with the one location versus you're going to, you know, Cincinnati and where, you know, you might get Dayton, mm -hmm. Cincinnati and Dayton, but what else yeah. are you getting there? Do you have um, buildings that you own that could be like a cargo terminal? We have the land. We would have to develop the oh, land. Oh, you'd have to develop the land. Yeah, okay. so we would have to build the cargo facilities, the, the ramp that the aircraft would uh, operate on. But you do get some, do you get individual flights for FedEx or some of these? Or We, we get uh, four or is that just a, yeah. small aircraft for FedEx uh, okay. uh, throughout the day uh, in and out of the community. So. Um, we're not even taxed. I mean, 
you know, from a perspective of can we handle the weight when the president Trump came into town for his visit, uh, uh, seems like oh, it's almost a year ago. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. it's, uh, but, uh, you know, the, his cargo planes came in, they came in with the, uh, the motorcade, uh, the, the two different cars, uh, security vehicles, uh, all the things they travel with. Another, um, plane came in with the helicopter, uh, the Chinook. So that's all on helicopter came in here. So the ability to handle the, 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 those cargo planes would be not an issue here at the airport. It's, it's building the infrastructure, um, that would need to accommodate it. So it would be a common conversation with whatever carrier that, that has some interest in us building the infrastructure to accommodate their needs. But you could, you could almost have this kind of inland port or, uh, or, a, a car, you know, just a general cargo terminal Correct. that could serve perhaps maybe a hundred miles in all directions. That's interesting stuff. You mentioned that we're all regional jets now, so those are usually fifty seaters. Right. So the sheer capacity of what the airport uh, can handle is is raising there. Let's talk about new city pairs. I know that you were looking at Washington Dulles. Right. So talk about what the this what, what surrounds all that. So, so um, the federal government Department of Transportation has what's called the Small Community Air Service Grant. And it allows communities that are small uh, to try to use some federal dollars to help leverage the uh, upfront costs for the airlines to mitigate their risk. Uh, so I had a previous meeting with the United Airlines about the Dulles service, um, particularly because if you look at a map, uh, if you go trying to go to the northeast up, um, we don't have anything connectivity. So right now, you, excuse me, you would have to go over to Detroit and up or down the Charlotte and up. You're not going all the way to Chicago and up. So now, right. if you go to Dulles, you can get to Boston, New York, Philadelphia, uh, Providence, Rhode Island, New Hampshire, uh, Vermont, all those places on the East Coast. Also, it provides another international connectivity uh, because uh, Dulles is a hub for United Airlines, so people can fly internationally across the transatlantic uh, as well. So it does a lot for us from that perspective. Um, the Department of Transportation has been a little slow. We're okay. hoping that uh, we would have information already about the grant. They have not released any information on any community throughout the United States, so maybe their process got slowed down. Once that takes place, then we're for a successful. It might be another six to nine months, depending on the seasonality, that uh, United be willing to. Uh, sort of announce the service and then begin the service. So is it usually a chicken or the egg where basically the airline's going to wait for the grant vis-a-vis seeing maybe the market hole there that they could pick up on or. Well, with this grant is it's, it's basically free money from the federal government. Yeah. And so our grant was, I think $292. Uh, so uh, for them to uh, try the service for a year. So um, two ninety two thousand, two hundred ninety two thousand yeah. dollars. Mm-hmm. So they're not going to. Um, they're going to wait. They're going to wait yeah. until the, the, they have access to those funds because otherwise, um, that's just money they've left on the table. So that sure. we use that as a sort of a, an incubator to bring them here. Uh, we've had uh, you know some local businesses contribute money in for an advertising fund. Some of the local uh, radio and TV people have uh, said, "You spend a dollar, we'll give you." A uh, dollar had one offered ten thousand dollars worth in free wow. advertising. So we've had uh, good community support for the for the new route, and the, some businesses are really looking forward to the announcement of that service, so that the, they can continue to grow their business. Because there's a there's a big contingent of people that go between Washington D.C. and Erie. Um, people that aren't aware of it, but there's just a, a lot of traffic, and right now that traffic typically is done by car because it makes no sense to drive right. to Pittsburgh for two and a half hours wait for a plane for two hours 
by the time you do all that, you know, you're almost, you're, you're almost there. You're almost there. So there's a lot of traffic that actually just drives, uh, to DC from Erie. So, uh, some businesses are willing to do that every once in a while, but you know, businesses that are trying to grow, um, they want that nonstop. And so that's what we're working on. It would seem to me that, uh, that makes a whole lot of sense too. And, and, and to give United that second, that second city, you know, or again, they were, they were, they, they moved from the old continental hub in Cleveland to, you know, the, I mean, United's been in O'Hare for forever and ever. Right. right. So it, it would be interesting to see that it just be one more, one more, uh, a feather in your cap. And, and really what you're, that is kind of like what we're missing is that Northeast corridor connection. And that would get, give us to that. Do they have a lot of these small markets that fly in with the regional jets into Dulles? Yeah. Dulles, um, again, is not slot control like Reagan. And mm. so they have the ability to fly people in there. And the other thing that's been happening there uh, quietly over the years is that the uh, Washington uh, Airport Authority has been... Uh, sort of tasked with building a train. So there's going to be a, a train system that's going to be able to go from Dulles into Washington. That's what people complained about before for years is that Reagan's so close. It's right in the heart of DC sure. and Dulles is way out there. Well, it's not way out there. It's just, you know, you know, half hour, 40 minutes. So now that you have a, the capability of getting on a train and then going on into the DC area, it's going to continue to drive that airport as a, as a, a good alternative for people trying to get into Washington. They don't really use Boston as a hub. These, these uh, airlines, do they? No, uh, Boston uh, JetBlue has made some effort there as well as Delta. And basically they're going from there, uh, transatlantic um, okay. and, uh, f- with Northwest or Delta and uh, JetBlue basically is doing a lot of Southern destinations. People are going to Florida from there and some mm-hmm. other things. Uh, and some eastern western destinations. The challenge with Boston is unless you have an A320 stretch, um, JetBlue has some of them to go transcon to LA or San Francisco is a long flight. Gotcha. You mentioned that uh, Youngstown lost all their passenger service. Didn't they have an Allegiant uh, uh, stop there? And what are the chances of one of those low cost, you know, Spirit, Allegiant, uh, Frontier ever coming to Erie? Well, we're trying to make a business case uh, to those people. The challenge is, is we're surrounded by them. So sure. we've got Buffalo that has low cost service. We've got Pittsburgh that has low cost service. And we got Cleveland uh, that has low cost service. Canton, Canton uh, Akron, right? Uh, well, they lost most of Did their they lose theirs? Yeah, yeah, most of that stuff went to Cleveland. But the, what we're trying to convince them is that if you come to Erie, you would own the town. Right. Uh, because right now, a low cost carrier, say they're, they're in Cleveland. Well, there's multiple carriers in Cleveland. So... Are people actually getting on your plane or are they getting on somebody else's plane? Where if that service was here, there's a lot of people that have second homes down in Florida uh, and they come up multiple times throughout the winter. And so it helps that market have people that go down there for vacations. Uh, It's just, it's a, it would open up a lot of opportunities uh, for a carrier if they came to town, uh, but it's it's a slow process. They're you know they're watching what we're doing. They're intrigued that you know okay our numbers are up. They're going to be intrigued. Mm-hmm. You know we get United service and and we can make that successful. So they're they're actually watching to see how the community responds and if we continue to respond pop- positively. Uh, then we have the opportunity to uh, maybe get one of those carriers. And, and people need to realize it's not an everyday thing i you know i think when i flew gosh frontier or whatever maybe that was more regular but some of these flights like out of niagara falls you know to myrtle beach it's like twice a week one way twice a week the next way so you have to kind of 
really time it. It's, yeah, it's so, a really specialty deal. Yeah, so they're trying to uh, appeal to the leisure travelers, and the leisure travels, they, they do a Tuesday uh, or a Thursday, Sunday turn or a Friday, um, Monday turn or something like that. So it allows people to get three or four days in a week or a seven day trip, whatever the case may be. Um, but they, you know, they fly in with a, a plane that holds about 177 seats. So, you know, they're trying to put 150, 160 people on that one plane to, to, to get from, you know, Erie or whether the destination is down to that Florida destination or yeah. some, they have destinations in Phoenix, they have destinations in Vegas as well, but that's their business model, bringing a lot of people uh, on a bigger plane to those destinations. Can you imagine? I think people would be driving from 50, 75 miles from all directions to to jump on one of those planes. Well, I mean, you think about the folks that live in Meadville, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Corey, and some of these other places that, you know, their options are not not the greatest. And if you can come here, and a lot of people like coming to Erie because it's it's convenient. It's, it's not as crowded and congested. They don't feel uh, rushed or overwhelmed. We're talking to Derek Martin. He's the executive director of the Erie Airport. Derek, we're glad that you're here. You're being so generous with your time, and we, we're, we've already gone an hour. We've got about a half hour to go, and lots of positive activity out at the airport. Uh, uh, I, I feel with Tom Ridgefield, I feel like we're starting to get the airport that our, the, the new Erie deserves. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you say that, uh, that everything is moving forward in Erie, and now Erie's, Erie's airport is coming with, along with it? Well, we're trying to make the uh, the the airport a integral part of the community. And so if you look at our advertising campaign, so one of the walls, we have um, women in business here in Erie, mm. uh, different women that run different businesses. They're highlighted there. We've got uh, different businesses that are from Corey that are highlighted there. Yeah. We have uh, the Northern Pennsylvania College and that got advertised there and everybody goes, where is that? Never heard of it before. <laughs> right. Well, it's in Warren. Yeah. And so uh, we, we're trying to highlight the, the community, what it has to offer. I th- we have some beautiful uh, digital displays now in the terminal building. So as you're waiting in baggage claim, you, you see uh, Welcome to Erie, you see the Bayfront, you see some of the, the businesses. It, it does a panoramic view of, of those sort of things. Uh, it highlights the, uh, you know, the tower, the uh, tall ships. So just a lot of positive things about what the community has and has to offer. So we continue to develop that as well as um, the amenities people you know want when they come to an airport. I mean, the, the, one of the biggest ones is, can I plug in my phone or my lap or my computer to get power while I wait? Well, we had one location that had three spots and then we had the one in front of the carbonyl companies. And you always saw all these people huddling by the, in front of the carbonyl companies to get their oh power uh, to, to power up. But we've uh, put some what's called in power bars there. Um, things that are like a barge you would see at a, a restaurant, but they have power in there so you can park. You know, power your computer you can power your your iphone or your samsung device uh, or any other device that you're traveling with uh, we've got these seats called clusters there are six seats where you know if there's a family the six of them can sit around that facility plug in talk chat do whatever they want to do and then we've got thicker cushion seats for the people in the terminal building so a more comfortable uh, environment or feel for those do do people pretty much um Again, in a in a typical air, a big airport, you would you would go through security right away, and then you're you're relaxing at the gate. But here in Erie, because security doesn't take that long, people like to kind of con- congregate on the non secure side. Is that still the case? 
Well, I think that used to be the case a lot because we had nothing to really offer on, on that side. On the secure side. On the secure side. So uh, now we have, uh, it's called um, Prescott Bar and Grill. Okay. Gym City Gift Shops that has hats, par- uh, shirts, and paraphernalia. There's some local... Um, candy that people love that's in there oh the uh, sponge candy the sponge candy and then uh there's a, there's a um a, a coffee stand that's there as well so you can get fresh fruits you can get uh breakfast sandwiches that are made in the morning you can get smoothies you can get coffee you can get cappuccino all the things that you would get at a bigger airport uh, are now available in erie so one of the challenges when people weren't going through security is when you have three flights going out at one, one time, sometimes within a half hour, one of another, now you have 150 people trying to get through security. Right. And if you don't get people through security to relax, it, it creates a bottleneck. And then the the airlines, you know, have to close the date, gate usually 20 minutes before departure. Mm-hmm. So sometimes people will think that, you know, it's a small airport. I can get here and not worry about anything. And the challenge is, is that the computer system is shut really shut down for doing anything to process as passengers out front 30 minutes prior to departure. So unless you have your boarding pass, you know, on your phone or printed out, you can't get through security. So the, it's those little things that people, you know, they sometimes they like the small town airport, but they don't realize that there's certain things that the, the bigger airports or communities are dictating because imagine trying to f- arrive at Las Vegas 30 minutes before your Absolutely. flight. Absolutely. You're not never going to get, you're never gonna get anywhere near your plane. Mm-hmm. And so that's why they have these, uh, the rules and regulations and it's not dictated by the local folks. It's, it's dictated by the corporation. So you're saying Erie, even it's even in Erie an hour before is probably prudent. Oh, absolutely. Anything less than an hour is you're, you're really, t- in my opinion, you're taking a chance because if you get there an hour, if you're parking your car, you got to get to the terminal building. Now you're getting inside the terminal building. You've got to be in line to, you know, if you're checking a bag, checking a bag. Yeah. So you got to check your bag and then, you know, make your way through security. So, uh, again, most airlines start boarding 30 minutes prior. So if you're getting there an hour prior to your flight, you're really cutting it. Kind wow. of tight. Okay, so that there's some there's some good uh, some news that we have to all digest is that the that the that that uh, you know the benefit of the small time air, airport is it can only go so far as far as the TSA because like you're saying it's the macro issues of of how the airlines are working and how how TSA works and so on, uh, but they can go through security and get now get a coffee or get get a sandwich. On the on the secure side of the of the fence. Yeah. So after you know from eleven thirty on to the last departure of the evening, uh, there's a restaurant there. They have a, a great menu, uh, Philly cheesesteaks. They've got hamburgers. They've got uh, I think fish dish, some turkey. Um, I think they have a euros uh, quesadillas. Yeah. Uh, a lot of different variety of dishes that are available for the for the people to have. There's obviously a full bar there. Uh, as well. So there's a lot of things to choose from people to re- can relax, uh, get work done uh, on the secure side as well, because we have uh, um, power on the other side as well. So okay. we're trying to make sure people can come there, relax, and then wait for their flight. And it also helps when, when there's delays, because some a lot of delays are not caused by here, here in Erie, it's caused mm-hmm. by the downline airport. So, you know, imagine what uh, happened a week and a half ago when we had those um, Storms down in Florida, a right. lot of airports, uh, the airlines, I think Orlando, for example, they just canceled all flights in and out of Florida. So uh, the delay was n- most likely not caused by Erie. It's, c- it's caused by something that 
we we can't even control. So that's what sometimes frustrates people. They think it's an eerie thing. Well, it's not an eerie no. thing. It, it it's a system thing. And and again, we we've paid eighty million for the infrastructure so that our delays would be uh, mitigated quite a bit. Right. So I mean, uh, um, a lot of delays are usually caused by the you know that plane that you get on here in Erie when it starts the first day of the uh, first flight in the morning. That's the first flight. Yeah. But the one that's coming here at night, that most likely it's the f- fifth or tenth oh flight my. of the day that right. that plane was on. So if they run into some issues at another airport or if the plane has a mechanical, whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. and that not does not affect, you know, Erie, for example, that could affect any airport. So yeah. if, if a plane that you're scheduled to be on is going here to there, here to there, here to there, and something happens in, the, in that routing structure, that can have an impact on your travel. Gotcha. Hey, let's uh, let's get an update on uh, you're in the news a little bit uh, about a month or so ago. Something about uh, there were uh, that the the ad agency that you use sold uh, some some square footage on a on a banner and it covered up uh, a historical uh, mural. Uh, you you've been able to repurpose some of that uh, content on kiosks or something like that. Can you explain that whole thing? So there's, there's two, there's two things that I think people are getting confused. Okay. okay. So one, there was a sort of wall of fame that was put together for people uh, that had some significance in aviation or served in the military here at the airport, uh, here or for the regional community. Gotcha. And so what we did was we created a digital display to keep the honorary of those. So those, those, bios those people were bolted into the floor and as we put new flooring in the airport we Uh had to rip up the the old stuff had to rip up that thing and to put it back down and we know that we have to expand the terminal building for another baggage claim belt we'd be ripping up again ripping up flooring so we made a decision to do something that honored the people gotcha and do it long term so what i try to tell people there's a place in cooperstown new york called the baseball hall of fame right you go there and you might want to go see your favorite baseball player when you get inside you realize the place is kind of small Mm. and because the place is kind of small a lot of the people that they've honored at the baseball hall of fame that's all they do is honor people are in the basement ah right and they and they tell you that the what, what do you mean we have no space, so they're in the basement. So we tried to honor the people. So the second piece of that, there was a mural that was there. Mm-hmm. So the honoring of people was 10 years prior. 10 years later, the mural was printed. So people were trying to make them the same thing. I see. They had nothing to do with one another. Gotcha. It was a mural that was painted and it was hung in the terminal building. Again, didn't want to keep things up that would have to be ripped down in the future. Okay. So we've made decisions to try to make decisions that are going to happen once versus tearing something up two and three times. Sure. And so the, uh, the digital uh, kiosk is in the baggage claim. It's very beautiful. Uh, we have those same individuals honored on our website as well. So they're honored in, in two places. Mm-hmm. And the, the purpose from my perspective is to honor people. So right. uh, at the end of May, um, Joseph, Joseph Martini, who was one of the uh, few uh, warriors from World War II that landed on D-Day, left Erie. And he went over to uh, Normandy, France for the celebration. Mm-hmm. I got a text around 9 o'clock on Thursday night with the airport trying to honor this individual. So I don't know this man to the cows come home. Yeah, yeah. But the right thing to do is honor people. Sure. 
So my staff and I basically uh, created banners, got cake. I called the, the local media. Both TV stations were out. And they interviewed him. They treated him like a rock star, which he deserved. Absolutely. And he was honored here at the Erie Airport. Beautiful. During the course of this event, I got an honor guard from McDowell, ROTC, and some other people that came out. We did the Pledge of Allegiance. We did the, all that, again, to honor this individual. And during the course of this event, the gentleman finally said, um, you arranged all this, didn't you? I go, yes, sir. That's, that's all the thanks that I needed. Because right. he, he, recognized. he recognized that somebody did something on his behalf. And the local reporter, uh, and it was actually reported in the, in the media, basically said, uh, the gentleman said, in my, since I came back from World War II, I was never honored like this past. Mm -hmm. So when people want to make this about, you know, not honoring people, I, I get sort of, you know, offended because right. I like to honor people. Sure. And we did that at the airport and we continue to do that. The uh, another another thing that we talked about last time you were here is this back and forth of of whether or not private mechanics can serve at uh, for the what is it the it's the what do you for call the those private planes? private planes right yes. you know, private pilots. it's 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 not again you have all this experience it's not really a thing but that you've encountered other than in Erie and so talk about where that's at so I, I the uh, the pilots filed a part 13 complaint with the FAA um, basically saying that they were not treated fairly um, there were four sort of subtopics that were addressed in the letter from the FAA and the letter basically said that the all the complaints that the pilots had were dismissed they were not founded okay. federal regulations basically clearly black and white says that you can't bring a third party onto the airport and do work uh, and so those are the rules that we have to follow and it's for the safety of everybody involved yeah. Do you, do you feel, and again, you don't have to answer this, but do you feel like we're going to go into a new, even tighter era of airport security as, as, as we get more sophisticated, more electronic surveillance and so on? I mean, where, where is that at? Or are we, are we doing pretty good right now? I think we're doing pretty good right now. The airport's actually investing uh, a lot of money in updating our security system our surveillance. So what we're trying to do is when an alarm goes off using some new technology that the officer has a, uh, an iPhone mm -hmm. or a Samsung, uh, the alarm will go off. And then 10 seconds before the alarm went off, a video will show up on the officer's uh, phone. So he can see if one that was an employee that just triggered the alarm or if somebody breached gotcha. the alarm. So we're trying to use some additional tech technology to be uh, more vigilant uh, at the airports uh, that we have today. So I think, you know. Aren't you amazed that we really haven't had another 9-11, another? I mean, we had the shoe bomber right after, mm -hmm. but, it, you know, we've gone 15 years without any major scares. Well, I think that's be because um, I think if you look prior to 9-11, America never thought anything like this would happen no, to us. We didn't have the imagination for it. No. And so that it happened. So you can't. And a lot of people don't understand that the, the terrorists did not sneak anything on an airplane. Everything they brought on the airplane, they were legally allowed to bring onto the airplane. I used to bring a Swiss Army knife on my flights. Yeah. Back in the day. Right. So, I mean, it was not like they snuck things on. So we... We, we have better technology. We do better job of screening. But again, they got in a cockpit. So again, the... The modus operandi in the past was if a terrorist took over your plane, 
They just want you to take you somewhere to land. They're trying to get some, somebody out of prison or they want money. There was never thought about flying in the building. So now you can't get in the cockpit. Uh, those doors, you just can't get in. So um, the only thing they can do is try to figure out other ways to try to create havoc within the right. United States. I mean, the, the big bang of an aircraft going into building, I, I don't think you're going to see that again because of the, the challenges. I mean, you're obviously going to get the guy out in Seattle for Horizon Air that, you know, he worked there. For, I don't know what he was on that day, but he decided to get on a plane and, and fly it around. Uh, that was kind of well, And there was that one last week where the, the or a couple weeks ago that the mechanic tried to do some sabotage. And now it's coming out that he had uh, terroristic uh, tendencies or what have you. But he had been a mechanic for years and years and years. Right. Um, I, I didn't hear about the terrorist thing, but you know, all I heard was he wanted more overtime. It's like, right. It's, yeah. it's, it's like, OK, so you want more overtime. So you delay a plane. Uh, you're, 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 not, you're not thinking too, too, too smoothly there. You've, you've had a you've had a breakdown. <laughs> oh, my word. All right. So so uh, as, as people. The, the the airport is kind of a uh, becoming a larger and larger employer. Have you seen employment go up at the airport? Well, every time uh, an airline adds a flight, uh, for example, so when American added some additional frequencies, I think they hired seven additional people. Oh, wow. The new restaurant that we uh, just brought on board, uh, they hired one manager and eight new people. So again, uh, as the volume of traffic comes in and out of the airport, uh, there's more opportunities to... Uh, for people to utilize the services and more people are needed to help people through the airport. Uh, additional with more flights coming through, more people are renting cars, more people are parking at the, the airport. So there's, it, it sort of has a um, sort of a cascade effect of, you know, the services are there, people are utilizing the services and, and then it, it provides more job opportunities for people in the community. We're talking to Derek Martin. He is the uh, executive director for the Erie Airport Authority. You mentioned something about you're wanting to add another carousel for um, baggage claim. So what are some of the other build outs that you're planning on doing in the, in, and how long uh, are you have like a are you working under like a two year plan or something like that? So the, the, the one that we weren't able to get through this year is the reallocating car rental space uh, and pick up and drop off. So um, this summer, for example, people might find this number unbelievable, but we would we had 90 car rental returns in a day. Oh, yeah, yeah. We have 15 spots currently. <laughs> okay. So people are shuffling cars in and out throughout the day, and it's not yeah. a convenient thing. So as sure. you continue to grow air service and people come in and out of the community, more cars are going to get rent. So we're trying to put the, the car rental pickup and drop off in, in one location and then use that current space is maybe for Uber and Lyft pickup. So try to have more of a streamlined uh, location for, for those sort of things. You're talking about that, that's that lane that you have that's off of the, uh, the, the arrivals and departures there. Yeah. So you have that second lane, you've got yeah. the one closest to the curb and the far, far lane says car rental returns. Right. And it's just not effective. And, and okay. if we had something that would happen where there was a TSA elevated threat, nobody could park there and really nobody could park in our short-term parking lot. So wow. uh, we, we need to make sure that we're making decisions to where we're putting cars and, and people that have a long-term uh, component. So do you have room? Like, are you landlocked or is there room to grow? No, we have. So we just move people around. So okay. where we currently have uh, employee parking, we can move employees to a different lot and make that car rental return. And some of the, the parking for the FAA, for example, um, we can turn that parking lot into uh, rental car pickup. So we're looking to maybe put a canopy 
or two canopies out oh, there nice. so that when people come in here in the middle of winter, uh, they're not going out in a buried car wow. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and trying to get out. So it's those sort of things to try to look at how we can make the place more excuse me, user friendly sure. for people that are coming in and out of the community. What about grants and things? Are you, is there, you said that the, all your funding is coming from the FAA, from the Department of Transportation. Again, we, we hear in the national news a lot about infrastructure, infrastructure, infrastructure. And, and again, you worked at the Port Authority of, of, of New York and New Jersey. Um, you know, you constantly have to be investing. Yeah, it's a it's a constant investment. The challenge is, is what we talked about earlier is the uh, the PFCs, the passenger facility charges. They have an increase for years. And so the dollar, even though it, it's four dollars and 50 cents uh, that you can get, uh, the airlines keep 11 cents. So you get four thirty nine. If you increase that to eight fifty, that the additional amount of money that's available to do uh, projects is, is a lot greater. So that's where the challenge is. So you, you get money for a certain type of grants and then other stuff has to come from your so-called profit that you have to utilize like your, your local matches of 10%. There are some grants that are available from the state of Pennsylvania, but the challenge with those, they're at a 25% match versus uh, the federal grants that are a 10% match. Gotcha. Gotcha. We're, we're down to our last uh, minute or so. Uh, any, any idea uh, what you're hearing again from this small, you know, the small airport grant program, as far as maybe getting that new service to Dulles, what's your timetable that, that you're expecting to hear an answer? I don't think we're going to hear anything until the middle of November. Uh, well, right. it's not that far. Well, it is when <laughs> you're talking about a timing window for the airlines. The gotcha. airlines, you know, usually typically time their spring and summer uh, loads for their so their destinations already, and so you might have missed that window. So, yeah, might, you knew you knew about Charlotte really early, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, we knew about Charlotte in the September or October first of October. Gotcha. And then they, if you remember correctly, they didn't start till May. So, right. you know, you look at their there was a you know, five, six, seven month window before when they announced service until when they, they kicked it off. So we'll take a, a yes either way. We just right, wish there was yeah. a little earlier than, than it's been so far. And again, this, this uh, slot at, at, at Dulles airport from ERI, well, I can't remember what it is, but it's not DC, DCA. What is Dulles? Uh, what's the, what is the code? Oh my I, gosh. I think it's, it starts with an E. Anyway, anyway, that slot from Erie to Dulles. <laughs> I, I'm trying to get too wonky. I, sometimes I do that, Derek. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time with us. I really do. This is fantastic. And c- congratulations on all the improvements at the airport. Thank you. Hopefully more people take a look at Erie and fly out of the local airport. You've been listening to The Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast from TalkErie.com. Subscribe to our show on your favorite podcatcher and get involved by emailing joel at TalkErie.com.